Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is and always will be our top priority. Asheville Regional Airport. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus, built with the zero landfill promise. All waste is recycled or reused, with more at PrestigeSubaru.com. Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours. Discover Asheville's scenic beauty and intriguing history, along with a local handcrafted beverage this winter, while you cozy up on top of award-winning rooftop bars. Tours offered daily, year-round, with safety protocols followed on every tour, and transportation is provided. It's easy to book a tour by visiting AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. And by RomanticAsheville.com. Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains by visiting RomanticAsheville.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball. Welcome to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website. That's speakingoftravel.net on pretty much all podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, Pandora, and Amazon. And be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news, helpful tips, and you'll get to know the incredible people who love to travel and are telling their stories to the world. Their point of view is their own, and each one is totally unique. When they share their stories with us of the people and places that are different in this world, then the world will be richer for it. My guest today shares a gripping and powerful tribute to human endurance taken to its limits and one of the greatest unknown stories in modern mountaineering. Johanna Garten is the author of Edge of the Map, and I'm excited to find out what inspired her to tell this amazing story. And Johanna, welcome to Speaking of Travel. Thanks, Marilyn. Thanks for having me. So, Johanna, give us a little background on your story. Where where were you born? What was it like for you being a kid? Did you travel? What was it like? So I am from Wisconsin. I'm from a town called Appleton, Wisconsin, the middle of the state. And I would say I traveled a little bit when I was young, but I didn't really get the travel bug Uh, that so many of your listeners have until college. I did that famed semester abroad in college. I lived in France for six months and I really got hooked on travel at that point. And I've been traveling really ever since. And tell us about when you started writing. Was writing something that you did uh, in college? Is it something that you had always aspired to do? Yes, yes. So I went to Syracuse University, and I actually majored in broadcast journalism. So I'm a journalist by training. 
and I've written all of my life. I've only done it professionally, I would say in the past six to seven years, but it's always been a real piece of who I am and how I express myself and something that I've had a real passion for, for sure. Well, this book, Edge of the Map, is not your first book. So give us a little bit of a a backstory on how you came to write your very first book. Oh, great. Yes, I'm happy to do that. So let's see. After I graduated college, instead of going into journalism, as would have been probably a smart idea in some regard, because I held that major in journalism and I had spent all of those years studying journalism. But instead of doing that, as I mentioned, I had been bitten by the travel bug. So I decided to move to Asia. And so I lived and worked in Taiwan for several years and learned how to speak Chinese and traveled all over Southeast Asia. Obviously spent a lot of time in Taiwan and uh, got very interested in Chinese adoption, which was just opening up at that time. This was the early 90s. And so fast forward several years later, I married. My husband and I decided to start a family and we decide to create our family by adoption. So we adopted both of our children from China and just had an extraordinary experience. I know many of your listeners probably are adoptive parents and it's just a beautiful journey, the journey to adopt. So after having both of our kids home for a few years, our son was nine and our daughter was four, we decided to move to China, which was kind of a crazy thing to do. A lot of families pick up and move to Central America or, you know, Europe, possibly Mexico, maybe, but not many families decide to move to a communist country, but we did because we're adventurous. And as I said, because we love to travel. So we lived there for a year and that was a crazy, crazy year with lots of adventures. And the story of the adoption of our kids and that year in China turned into my first book, Awakening East. That's really a beautiful story. And all these years later, what a, a beautiful way to uh, have your legacy of of that time and that story. Yeah, yeah, it's great. The kids are a little mortified, but I think it's a, a real gift to them to be able to have that story in the pages of a book for sure. Well, tell us how the transition happened into your second book, Edge of the Map. Okay, let's see. Where do I start that story? So let's see, let's go back to 2006. I was living in Denver. And at this point, we only had our son, he was about three years old. And I received a call from my mother from uh, Wisconsin, again, I'm from Wisconsin, and she was calling from Wisconsin to say that she had read a little article in our hometown newspaper about a woman who had gone missing in Western Sichuan province, very near to the area where my son had been born. She was a mountaineer. Her name was Christine Boscoff, and she and her partner, Charlie, had gone missing. And there was this big search and rescue operation that had launched, and she wondered if I had heard of Christine. Christine was living out in Colorado, uh, but because I was a mountaineer, I didn't really know who she was. And so my mom kind of kept talking about this incredible search and rescue and Christine's amazing career as a mountaineer. Uh, She had just had an extraordinary rise in the sport of mountaineering. And I stopped my mom at one point and asked why she was so interested in the story of Christine Boscoff and her disappearance. And she said, because you went to high school together. So as it turned out, Chris and I had gone to high school together and we had never met and had had very similar paths in life in terms of travel and exploring uh, unknown places. And the story of Chris and her life was a story that my mother felt should be told 
My mother was also a journalist. And so Chris and Charlie, uh, as it turned out, had died in an avalanche in Western Sichuan province. And by the time their remains were brought home, my mom was convinced this was a story that she wanted to tell. So my mother worked on the book for about 10 years, kind of pieced it together at night and on the weekends, as most writers do. And during that time, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So after about 10 years, she realized she would no longer be able to work on the book. And at that point, I had just published Awakening East, that first book, which we've mentioned. And I was looking for a second project. And I offered to help her kind of take on that project and finish the book, which I did. And it was published last April. Well, congratulations. That's a a wonderful tribute, uh, not only to your mother, uh, to be able to work together and pick up that project uh, that she'd been working on, but but also to them and being able to put out to the world this amazing legacy that that they left behind. So let's talk a little bit about that legacy and and the resilience that that they both had as mountaineering people. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm happy to talk about that. So it's a just a fabulous story. In particular, at this moment in time, I think it's a story that has been um, just bubbling to be told for all of these years. And so at this moment in time, it's just a wonderful story of resiliency. Chris had a very typical Midwest life. She was prepared to go to college and study nursing, but at the very last moment, she changed her mind and decided to study aerospace engineering, which was pretty unique. Again, this was the early 90s. So she graduated from University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. She went on to work in Lockheed, at Lockheed Martin, leading teams of men, uh, which was pretty unique, again, at that time as a woman in aerospace engineering. At that point, she was living in Atlanta, working at Lockheed, and eventually fell in love with a guy named Keith Boscoff, who introduced her to the sport of mountaineering. And they eventually got married, climbed all over the world. They bought Mountain Madness, which was the guiding company that had been owned by Scott Fisher, who died on Everest in 96, which a lot of your listeners will remember from the book Into Thin Air. And so Chris and Keith bought that company. She ran the company for many years. She summited more 8,000-meter peaks than any other American woman. So she was really a trailblazer personally and professionally, and her life was full of resiliency for sure. Well, Johanna, when we come back from the break, I'd, I'd like to talk more about her. What an inspiring woman uh, and what an inspiring story. And when you, when you talk about being a trailblazer and, and a pioneer, I, I think you are too, just being able to pick this story up and, and share it with the rest of us and the rest of the world. So when we come back, let's just pick up right there and, and dive deeper into her story. Sounds good. All right, this is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. I'm here with Johanna Garten, the author of Edge of the Map, and we'll be right back. Green is good. Local food, less oil. Renewable energy, sustainable peace. Tree hugger. Say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals. Don't eat them. Go solar. Coexist. Don't buy a dog, rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subiville, Prestige Subaru, on the web at PrestigeSubaru.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. 
Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and I'm here with Johanna Garten, the author of Edge of the Map, and we've been talking about this incredible story. And Johanna, you were talking before the break about how Chris was able to uh, start this company and, and really start to uh, literally take off and pioneer uh, adventures that a lot of women had not had before. Yes, absolutely. She was uh, a pioneer. As you say, that's the perfect word for her. She was in these fields that were dominated by men, kind of constantly hearing people not necessarily telling her every day the things she couldn't do because she was a woman, but definitely pointing out her gender often. And it got to be pretty annoying to her because she wanted to be known for what she was achieving, not because she was a woman. So that was very difficult, both uh, personally and professionally. So when she started this uh, company, was she at the same time taking these adventures and and doing these trips and uh, of course back then there probably wasn't a an internet uh, to follow there weren't blog posts how did how did people get to know her and and know her story yes yes that's a great point too because she was climbing at a time when there was not really this huge uh, world of social media so that was it was a whole different time this again was the probably late 90s early 2000s that was just booming so as I mentioned she bought the company Mountain Madness which had been owned and started by Scott Fisher he was a guide who had died on Mount Everest in 1996 and John Krakauer wrote the book into thin air about that expedition and Scott's death so the company was pretty well known from that, uh, from that tragedy and the lens of that tragedy. So when she and Keith bought the company, uh, people knew of the company and they were starting to hear about her. People in the mountaineering world were starting to hear a little bit about her because there were, again, very few women achieving as she was achieving at that level. So people would come and uh, buy expeditions with Mountain Madness and uh, do so just to be able to go on expeditions with her. So what are some of the takeaways, Johanna, from this book, especially now, it, given uh, where we are in, in the world and how things have changed so much? And what would you say are, are some of the takeaways, uh, having really immersed yourself in this story? I think one of the things that I've taken away from the story and her life is the importance of finding that thing that you love and sticking with it no matter what, no matter what the, I call it the noise outside of, of you is saying, you know, uh, people have varied interests in life and we all hopefully find those interests and those passions. And for some people, they look a little bit dangerous or different like mountaineering and scaling um, the top of Mount Everest is a little bit crazy to those of us who are regular people, but we all have that thing that we love. And so I've tried to really do that in my own life and identify the things that I love that might be a little bit obscure and stick with it no matter what. So that sense of resiliency and pursuing those things that we all love, I think is the lesson that can be taken away, particularly at this time now when we're all sort of locked up and sort of looking at our own lives and what really moves us. 
Well, I can't help but uh, think of the similarities in some ways of the time frame of when you were taking this leap, uh, going to China, adopting the children, starting your your life, uh, this adventure for you and your husband, while she, a woman, was climbing tall peaks and, and also pursuing her passions. I can't help but see that there's definitely a connection there. Uh, yes. Yeah, you. definitely a parallel for sure. I've, I noticed that at several points during the writing of the book, and that's one that, that I definitely have seen. Well, what has it been like for you to publish, release this book and promote it during this time when you're, you're not able to get out and go to book signings? I know that you know, whenever there's the release of a new book, the excitement of being able to be in front of people and uh, read portions of the book. What has it been like for you during this time? That's a great question. So initially, it was a little bit heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. The book released on April 1st, and there was no way to really push the release back. So it released on April 1st. And as you mentioned, I had a 12-city book tour planned and parties with champagne and lots of hugs that I wanted to get um, upon publication. And all of that went away. Uh, we all have had our heartbreaks, obviously. And this was mine. So I quickly had to pivot. And one of the beautiful things of the past year has been that I've been able to connect virtually with so many readers. And one thing in particular that's been wonderful is that this is a book that's just fantastic for book clubs. It's a very fast read. It's got romance. It's got mystery. It's intriguing. It talks about this really incredible badass woman. And so book clubs all over the country have been picking up the book and I've been doing virtual meetings with them after they've finished the book. So connecting with readers everywhere that way has been very sweet. I love that. How can people get get connected to you, Johanna? How can we get copies of the book, get connected, and and even be able to share the book with their book clubs? Yeah, yeah. So you can find me on my website, which is joannagarten.com, J-O-H-A-N-N-A garten.com. And you can get the book there if you'd like a signed copy. You can also get the book at all those online uh, big bookstore places. I don't need to mention the biggest and baddest, but it's out there. And you can get the book also as an audiobook if you have people who are interested in listening to books and not necessarily reading. It's also available as an ebook online. Uh, I always love to say, please, please think about going to your local independent bookstore because they are really hurting right now. So that would be my favorite place for people to pick up the book. But readers can find me and email me through my website for sure. Well, thank you for the shout out for the independent bookstores. We're all big fans. And I know right here in Asheville, North Carolina, we have uh, Malaprop's bookstore, which is one of our favorites. So great, great. Will, yeah, keep them in business. We will definitely do that. So give us a, a just a, um, you've given us some takeaways on this, but for somebody who is dreaming or passionate about telling a story or sharing a story. Give us just a little idea of, of where to begin. Let's see. I would say, and you're speaking about somebody who's maybe a writer who wants to tell a story. Absolutely. And there's so many of us out there who dream about publishing books and having something in their hands. And I always say, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story worth telling that could be a book. So I encourage people to start small 
and write something that might start out as a short story or an essay. And I suspect if you have an individual who loves to write, that that will then blossom and bloom into chapters. And eventually, before you know it, you'll have a book. It's true. And there's so many wonderful ways to get your book out into the world now with self-publishing. It's something that really anybody can tackle. Just starting in small pieces is a good place to start. Well, what's your next project? What's on your horizon? Yes, I'm just now sort of turning my attention to other projects. And I would love to stay in the world of outdoor adventure journalism. So I'm exploring different stories. And I hope that there's a book ahead. I feel like I've got a third book in me. So stay tuned. Well, we will stay tuned. And I can't thank you enough for joining us today on Speaking of Travel and giving us such a wonderful way of learning about somebody new, somebody we might not know about, and, and such an inspiring and powerful story, like you said, of, of resilience and go get ness Thanks for having me, Marilyn. Thank you. And I just want to say we've, we've talked a lot about being outdoors, and I think this is a, a common theme that we've all had over this past year is the importance of being outdoors. And poet John Keats once wrote, the poetry of the earth is never dead. I've heard people call it vitamin N because time spent in nature offers us many benefits and can also have profound effects on our brains. This is the perfect time to get outdoors. And one of my very favorite places to experience the great outdoors is Banner Elk, North Carolina, the ski capital of the South. It offers an abundance of open air activities like fishing and rafting and horseback riding and of course skiing. And this little getaway is near Boone in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina's high country. And it's a place that blends small town relaxation with all the amenities of a larger city. And coming up next to tell us about this destination is Nancy Owen of Banner Elk. She's the director of tourism for the town of Banner Elk. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Why not make the most of the beautiful winter season and plan your next vacation or staycation to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains? Create your perfect winter wonderland adventure in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, RomanticAsheville.com is a 900-page online guide covering a nearly 100-mile radius around Asheville, North Carolina. There are so many special places and awe-inspiring vistas around nearly every corner. And this is the perfect time to create safe and memorable adventures across western North Carolina. Visit RomanticAsheville.com today. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. I've seen many studies over the past six months that found people are significantly more likely to report good health and well-being if they spend time in nature. But still, so many people spend more than 90% of their time indoors, and that was even before the widespread isolation caused by COVID. 
It's really important more than ever these days to stay connected to each other and to nature. Experiencing the natural world can provide you some relief from the stress and anxiety of the events happening around us and can improve your immune system and improve your mood. Think about that for a minute. There's something about the calm of nature that is very contagious. One of my very favorite places to get away from it all and experience the great outdoors is Banner Elk, North Carolina. This special gateway near Boone in the Blue Ridge Mountains of the North Carolina high country is a place that blends small town relaxation with all the amenities of a larger city. And here to tell us more about this wonderful destination is Nancy Owen, Director of Tourism for the Town of Banner Elk. And Nancy, it is such a pleasure to have you on Speaking of Travel. Thank you so much, Marilyn, for having me. Well, Nancy, give us a little idea of where Banner Elk is and what Banner Elk is a little bit about. Uh, Banner Elk is located in the northwestern corner in North Carolina, um, up in the Appalachian Mountains near the Tennessee border. And we are a small one stoplight town, but we offer a lot in this one (laughs) tiny little town. We are located between the two major ski resorts in North Carolina. Both are within five miles. So uh, in the wintertime, we like to say we're North Carolina ski town. And in the summer, we're really a second home tourist destination for people looking to escape the hotter temperatures off the mountain. What are some of the elevations up there, Nancy? Yeah, well, uh, our neighbor Beach Mountain is at 5,506 feet. Banner Elk is is around 4,600 feet, (laughs) give or take. a few feet, but the, the temperature is, is even from Asheville. It's just really nice. We used to say we rarely get above 72. We've had to change that a little with <laughs> climate issues. So, you know, our hottest day might be 75, 76 degrees and no, very, very low humidity. So it's, it's just a really attractive place for people to come to escape those hot, humid temperatures off the mountain. That is really a, a wonderful escape. And I want to talk a little bit about ski season because right now we're we're in the winter time and people are are loving to go up there and and ski. What's it like up there in the ski season? Oh, ski season is magical. It is, and and Banner Elk is unique in that if you go one way, you hit Sugar Mountain. If you go the other way, you hit Beach Mountain. So we are surrounded by ski resorts. Um, it's really really a weekend crowd. They come in on Fridays and ski throughout the weekend and um, usually are gone by Monday, Tuesday. So it's a nice three to four day crowd. But it's just really, we have so many winter activities. We have skiing and snowboarding and snow tubing and ice skating. Um, And if it snows enough, which we've had a lot this winter, you can go rent snowshoes and just really explore the area and get outside. And it's, it's just such a fun winter activity. And it's a great way for people to exercise and reconnect with nature. Well, I've been doing a lot of research about that, as I mentioned, and it's just amazing what being out in nature can do to your well-being and to your health, not only your physical health, but your mental health as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, spending an afternoon on the ski slopes and you don't have to use a lot of brain power (laughs) other than getting yourself down the mountain, you can let all your worries go and you're outside and and under a, a Bluebird Sky Day. I mean, really, there's nothing better than it. Well, I am definitely looking at getting myself up there, and and it's such a wonderful place for families. That's another lovely amenity that you have is that you have so many activities that are for the entire family. 
Right. And skiing is such a great family activity. You know, little kids can do it. The parents, even grandparents, it's amazing the age variety that you see out on the ski slopes and and you can take a lesson if you're a beginner. All the resorts offer lessons. You can be in ski school. You can take a private lesson or a group. I mean, do not be afraid if you've never skied to come try it because they can get you skiing in a couple of days. And the other thing that we have new to Banner Elk, I forgot to mention, is Alpine Coaster. And it's the first one of its kind in North Carolina. And it is an outdoor roller coaster and it's located here in Banner Elk. And that is another great family fun activity that ranges from three all the way up. That sounds so much fun. I'm yeah. I'm ready to get my uh, my ski clothes on. You know, that's right. the other thing. It's you have these uh, this wardrobe hanging in your closet. You have to wait until it gets cold and then you can head up to Banner Elk and Absolutely. Put it to good use. Put it to good use. Well, let's talk a little bit about your protocols up there, Nancy. I know uh, over the past year, things have changed. And give us an idea of, of what you have set up in your area to make people safe. Okay. So when the pandemic started, the first thing that we did, Banner Elk and our county that we're in, Avery County, was shut down short-term lodging just to when it when it all first started it it, we were really overwhelmed with everything and not sure of what to do because we are a tourist destination we had to protect our locals as well and we have one hospital so we shut that down and ever since we reopened (laughs) we've been wide open but banner elk has followed the governor's orders from day one we have canceled all of our events for 2020 and we're hoping that by late spring, early summer of 2021, that we'll be able to start adding events back in. But we ask that you follow the three W's, that you wear your mask, wash your hands, and that you wait, you social distance, and that you be respectful of other people in town, but most importantly, be respectful of the locals that are here to serve the tourists, and that you just really practice the safe three W's. And and we have the hand hygiene dispensers of all over town. We are even giving out free masks. The town of Banner Elk had masks made with our logo on them. So we're doing everything we can to promote safety here in Banner Elk. That's really great to hear. And you were talking about being respectful. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you have so much natural beauty there. And I know that it's important for all of us to be mindful of that natural beauty and really being able to look at caring for it for the long term. Absolutely. And, and you know, Banner Elk has always been a tourist destination, but ever since COVID, our numbers have gone through the roof. And so we've really tried to stress to people how important it is to come to Banner Elk, but also take care of the beauty of Banner Elk and why people love it so much. Our outdoor areas, our parks, our streams, you know, those are the things that draw people here. But once you're here, please be respectful of them and remember why it's so important to this area and to just to treat it like you would want to be treated. And um, we've really seen an uptick in, in people and outdoor activities. So we're trying to stress the importance of, you know, the leave no trace, the leave it how you found it. And just remember that there's going to be other people that want to come and enjoy it. So to please be respectful of our beautiful outdoor area here in Banner Elk that we're so fortunate to have. Absolutely. And when you talk about multi-generational, we want to ensure that this natural beauty is there for the next generation and the generation after that. Absolutely. Yes. We want to share it with everyone, but we also want everyone to be respectful of it. So then, as you said, the next generation can come up 
and enjoy Banner Elk just as much. Well, Nancy, how can people get more information about Banner Elk? Sure. You can visit um, BannerElk.com. It has all of our, has everything from lodging to our dining to outdoor activities, anything going on in the area. Um, It's just a great resource for Banner Elk. Well, I know that I'm I'm making my plans right now to get up there. It's the heart of the winter time, and I'm ready to show off my uh, my my fashion wardrobe for Your this fashion wardrobe. And and I would say if you're if you're not into skiing but you're into um, culinary, the one thing that's really unique about Banner Elk is is we might be a small one stoplight town, but we have 14 independently owned restaurants are open year round. One is one of the top 100 in the nation. So we are really fortunate to have a very hot culinary scene. We like to say we're the culinary hotspot of the high country. So even if skiing is not your thing, but you want to get away for the weekend, come up to Banner Elk and and check out our wonderful restaurants and and, um, take a swirl around town. That sounds great. And I and I would even put a little uh, emphasis. Weekends are great, but that middle of the week sounds sounds even better. (laughs) Right. Especially right now, you know, the the winter, the winter crowd is usually a weekend crowd. So if you can get away at all through the week, that's the time to be here. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for being on Speaking of Travel and filling us in and being a partner with RomanticAsheville.com. I know that I'm going to be up there sooner than later, and I look forward to meeting you in person. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Marilyn. Well, what if you need to fly someplace? Let's say you, that you're listening from someplace else and you want to fly here into Asheville. It's always a good idea to know what's current and how best to navigate the changing airport environments so you can be prepared. Coming up next is Tina Kinsey from the Asheville Regional Airport to update us on the current operation status. So stay tuned. Hi, this is Kay. At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we put you in the middle of experiencing Asheville like no one else can. With an expert guide by your side, you'll have an all-access pass to what makes Asheville so unique. Our sense of place, history, and awe along with great food and drinks and spectacular views. We follow safety protocols on every tour. Come experience why TripAdvisor awarded our company the 2020 Traveler's Choice Award, placing us in the top 10% of attractions worldwide. To learn more about us and our award-winning tours, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. As we've moved into this new year, passengers are cautiously returning to air travel. So if you're thinking about taking a trip in the near future, it's a good idea to know what's current and how best to navigate the changing airport environments. And joining me today to review some of the most current Asheville Regional Airport's operation status is Tina Kinsey, Director of Marketing, PR, and Air Service Development. And Tina, it's always such a pleasure to have you on Speaking of Travel. Thanks, Marilyn. Really enjoy our chats. Well, Tina, you know, it's funny because when we started uh, uh, doing this segment back, well, in March almost, I think it was March last year that we first started doing yeah. this segment. 
you know, I thought, well, we'll do it for a couple of weeks, maybe see how things unfold. And here we are really moving into a year's time. Yeah, it's it's great. And thank you for allowing us to talk about what's happening at the airport. It's been quite a year. It has been quite a year. And there's been just so many changes and continue to be so many changes in all types of travel, but especially at the hub known as an airport. And it's important that people recognize that the next time they do go to the airport, it won't be the same as it was in March of 2020. So give us a little bit of an idea of the changes that have happened as if I were to step into the airport terminal tomorrow. Sure. So I think one of the first things that you would notice at Asheville and probably a lot of other airports as well is that uh, there's a lot of signage, new signage, giving instruction about rules and how to navigate in the airport environment. Um, one of the very first things you would see um, at any entrance into Asheville Regional Airport is a sign that says, you know, if you are not a ticketed passenger, you know, if you are, if you don't really have a reason to be in the airport and just waiting for someone, that's not really a reason. Um, we ask you to please wait in your car or not to enter the airport. You know, um, it's a, this is not something we police, but it is something that we are asking of our customers as they come to the airport. And that's really an effort to just limit the number of people inside the building. And then, um, you know, just watch for signage. Um, we're, a lot of airports are telling you where to stand when you're in line so that you stay appropriately spaced apart. Um, all airports are requiring that people who enter uh, have on masks and airlines are requiring that you wear a mask through the entire air travel journey. So, you know, you really need to, to know that. But when you go to an airport, listen for announcements, look for signs, because most are providing masks to those who perhaps forgot one or, um, uh, misplaced it. Perhaps it, it ended up in your luggage. And, um, you know, so airports are doing all they can to make sure everyone has the opportunity to, to grab that mask so that they can maneuver appropriately. Um, the Transportation Security Administration has made some changes and they are communicating that in different ways. Um, but watch for that information as well. When you go through the TSA screening process, uh, you're going to have to um, put some of your items in the bins a little differently. For instance, if you are bringing snacks, um, some sort of food to eat on the airplane, if you're bringing that with you through security screening, um, they're now asking you to screen that separately, pull that out, um, bag it up, put it in a bin of its own to have it screened instead of having it tucked down into your carry-on luggage. Um, you know, so a lot of things like that. But one other thing I wanted to note is you mentioned that people are returning to the skies little by little, you know, so there are not as many people in the airports now as there were 
this time last year. And because of that, a lot of the amenities, the restaurant services uh, and other amenities may have limited services, different hours. Some restaurants are even closed temporarily until recovery uh, comes to a, a bigger point, you know, where there are more passengers in the terminal. And in Asheville, for instance, um, those, you know, on land side, and that's where typically people would sit and wait for passengers to arrive. That that uh, cafe is is closed temporarily at this point. And part of that is because we are asking people not to come in and wait in the airport. So, you know, there are still some lingering uh, changes that are probably temporary and there are changes that are probably more permanent as a result of COVID. So I think the communication tools are there to really help passengers know how to maneuver. And you also can find out current information by visiting your website. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yes. So um, we did build a specific page dedicated to what's happening because of COVID um, at Asheville Regional Airport, but also with links to a lot of our partner organizations, including the airlines. And that you can find at flyavl.com. There's an easy button right on the homepage to get there. Um, we uh, the, the campaign, we've called it AVL Travel Smart. So really trying to keep information updated there for anyone who needs to, you know, do a little research before they head out on their travel journey. Well, I think the fact that it's been a long time for many of us that we've even stepped foot into an airport to kind of get an update on what's going on. Now, you did mention parking. I want to talk a little bit about that because you're asking people just to drop people off or to wait for them uh, when they come in. Where would you recommend that we park? Well, if you are waiting for an arriving passenger, we have a free option for you, and that's our cell phone lot. And we call it that because we do require that you stay in your car. You can't just leave your car in the cell phone lot. And that's just a holding place, a place where you can sit and wait. And when your passenger arrives, they can give you a call on your cell phone, and then you easily can drive across the road right to the front curb of the terminal and pick them up. Well, that's very convenient. And I think you know, we can say in this year's time, you have had a lot of practice in making changes. And <laughs> haven't we all? Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think people are going to be uh, uh, really needing to do a little research to spend a little time on your website and uh, even subscribe to your newsletter, which they can do right there on your website. Absolutely. Right on our website. We call our newsletter window seat. We send it out once a month um, and we do try to make sure the information is relevant to those who have an interest in air travel and what's happening in uh, Western North Carolina. Well, as I said in the beginning, we started this uh, conversation back in March with the idea maybe we would do it for a couple of weeks and just keep up with what's happening. And then here we are a year later. And it's so important because the airport is such an important part of our infrastructure in travel to keep current. That to me is 
the most important thing right now. Absolutely. And I'm very proud of this industry. You know, they're leaders. The aviation industry has been a leader in safety systems and planning for decades. And so this is no different. And uh, airlines have really put forward a lot of information about how safe the air quality is on airplanes and um, that they are really, you know, enforcing the mask wearing and you know, the things that people need to do to do their part. And Marilyn, I'm actually flying this weekend. And so I'm anxious to document, you know, just really look at this experience from a professional point of view. I am very comfortable with flying because of the quality of the air on the aircraft and just the responsibility that the airlines have taken. So maybe we can talk about that next time. We definitely will. What a pioneering woman you are there, Tina. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I was thinking this is very historical as well, just the, 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 conversations that we've had over all this time is very historical as we've been tracking uh, this massive change in the way that we travel. Well, thank you, Tina. Have a wonderful trip. Have a safe trip. And we'll look forward to hearing all about it. We'll be right behind you on that. Okay, great. Thanks, Marilyn. Well, thanks, Tina. And thanks to Johanna and Nancy for joining us today on Speaking of Travel. You know, as we talked about earlier in the show, being outdoors really is good for you. No matter what season it is, you're going to be a healthier person when you're exposed to the natural light and you spend some time outside for a while. Being outside might not be some magic pill all by itself, but you're going to find you're going to lose some weight when you're taking a walk or a hike because you're speeding up your metabolism and your appetite will decrease. And being out in Mother Nature will reduce your stress and lower your heart rate, which is all good. And you're totally going to be in a better mood. Your kids will thank you, and so will everyone else who has to put up with your grouchiness. This will improve your mental health and theirs. So go someplace you can get outside. You'll be happier for it. We may be staying closer to home right now, but our desire for far-flung travel is stronger than ever. In the meantime, travel right now should make the most around places that make the most of the great outdoors. Take a hike, go skiing, head out for some stargazing, try your hand at fly fishing, maybe get on a horse or do some mountain biking. No matter what you do, just go outside. Spending time outside is good for our mental and physical health, and I cannot stress that enough and may be particularly good for our well-being in these uncertain times of increased stress and anxiety. Remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. 